You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. So today, we're going to be looking at the second half of this little project, and that is 2024 draft scenarios slash let's take a look at some first-round prospects. <laughs> couple little things I wanted to point out before we get into it. Number one, we didn't talk about tight end because, you know, the unlikelihood that the Packers take a tight end in the first round, especially as early as they would probably have to do it, we'll talk about it, um, after they just got Musgrave and Kraft. Even if Musgrave and Kraft don't pan out, they're going to assume that they're going to get better. They're not going to just bail on two early-ish selections after one year and then go get Brock Bowers, who is, uh, I'm not going to say one of the best tight end prospects we've seen because Kyle Pitts was just a thing not very long ago. But um, Brock Bowers is an absolute freak show. Not not a super, super strong draft class. It's pretty standard to maybe even a little bit lesser. You've got like one second round, uh, two third rounds. So kind of standard, but again, maybe even kind of a lesser tight end draft. But at the top end, you've got a truly premier tight end in Brock Bowers. I figured that was at least worth mentioning despite the fact that I don't care how many first-round picks we have, I don't think he's going to be one of them. I don't really see a scenario unless we get, uh, you know, Kraft is a horrific tight end and, you know, Musgrave has a career-ending injury or something. I I don't know. Maybe they both have quick career-ending injuries and then we go for it. The other thing is that as I was looking at it or I was thinking about it brushing my teeth, I was thinking, you know, the offensive thing wasn't as fun as I was hoping because it, it just of how I ended it, right? Probably not a quarterback, probably not a running back, definitely not a tight end, probably not a guard. Um, and looking at the wide receiver prospects and the and the fact that we just drafted a pile of guys that are really, really young, probably not a wide receiver. What I really said was, um, I mean, I ended it by saying probably tackle, but what I really meant is probably defense. And I kind of just got bummed. And then I, I tried to do that thing where I, I reeled it back in, where I was like, well, no, you got to do the responsible thing. And then I thought about, like, wait a minute. Since when is ignoring your offense the responsible thing to do? And I'm not necessarily saying that's what the Packers are doing. There's more than one round. It's not all just first-round picks. They've added plenty of players. But they're, they're really flirting with being negligent on that side of the ball. I understand the adage, defense wins championships, and while I do agree, you're, you're going to really struggle to win a Super Bowl unless you have a competent to good defense, I know for a fact you're not going to win a Super Bowl if you don't have an offense. That is very obviously the most important part of a football team is the offense. And yes, quarterback, and the Packers do take quarterback very seriously, but that also includes offensive line, it includes wide receivers. I think tight ends are incredibly important. You got to be able to make plays on offense, man. And, you know, it's, it's easy to neglect your offense when you've got just this horrifically bad defense every single year. And you come in as the GM and you're like, look, I'm freaking fixing this once and for all. I'm going to be the guy that fixed it. 
And you've got Aaron Rodgers, and you got Devontae Adams, and you got David Bakhtiari, and you got Aaron Jones, and that's great, but what happens when you lose all four of those guys in three years? Maybe. Let's just say Jones and Bakhtiari leave next year. That's a heck of a blow, dude. I mean, we lost uh, Devontae Adams, and this team took a massive hit. And yeah, Aaron Rodgers by himself struggling, which part of it was probably his thumb. I, I think maybe the biggest part of it was Devontae leaving. But what happens when Rodgers leaves? What happens when uh, frickin' Bakhtiari, et cetera, et cetera? And I, we haven't really had much Bakhtiari lately anyways, but you don't want to get to the point where you're hollowed out. A lot of teams do that, and I'm constantly hammering them for it. You're so focused on overpaying your old guys and neglecting coming in on the other side, and the Packers never do that. And they've had a million draft picks, and they've done a good job, but they focus so heavily on one side of the ball, you're worried about the offense getting hollowed out, right? Well, we've drafted a bunch of offensive linemen. Yeah, late-round offensive linemen. When was the last time? I mean, Josh Myers and Elton Jenkins, I guess, were second-round picks. We got no first-round picks, two second-round picks. Zach Tom was a fourth-round pick. And then we got, what, John Runyon was a sixth-round pick and some seventh-round tackles and undrafted free agent tackles that aren't going to materialize into starters? Congratulations. Wide receivers were starting to get after. And, and, and if Romeo Dobbs can become a good player, that's lucky as all hell. Because very rarely does anything outside of a second-round pick of almost any position turn into a really solid football player. And I know you've got plenty of examples in your head, but the vast majority of the top prospects, especially if you're looking at top five, top ten, at just about any position except maybe tight end, excluding positions where you don't take them in the first round, kicker, fullback, kind of tight end, they're, they're first-round picks, maybe second-round picks. So I'm glad that they started to hammer the position, but, I mean, we got two second-round pick wide receivers. We got a first-round pick quarterback. That's good. We still got Bakhtiari for now. Elton is a second-round pick. I mean, fortunately, the Packers have a high enough hit rate on offense that it's it's it hasn't been cataclysmic. I'm just worried that at some point it's going to be. And if we continue to do defense, 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 we're going to be in a situation where we have 17 players on defense that are first-round picks somehow, and the defense still sucks. And, and you know, we, we don't have an offense anymore. There has to come a point where it's like, you know what, I understand defense is important. And I, and listen, I understand, I, I genuinely think Lucas Van Ness was taken simply because he was the best player available. I don't think it was really anything more than that. I mean, yes, it's a need, but I, I think it was, I don't think it was a conscious, like, I'm not picking offense, I want defense. But anyways, with all that said, why don't we just get started? Again, if you're interested in some of the details of the draft I did that in yesterday's episode, kind of, uh, looking at the amount of picks that the Packers have, where they're expected to pick. And remember, we've got the Jets thing, which um, is also a question mark, but adds a ton of value to the Packers' total draft capital. But all right, let's run through these scenarios, position by position. And again, some of these are much more likely than others. And as I've stated, as much as we look at defensive tackle and say, I don't think so, we drafted, you know, we've got Kenny... We drafted Wyatt in the first round. We added Carl Brooks. We added Colby Wooden. Lucas Van Ness is going to play some on the inside. I don't really see it as a necessity. Allow me to retort. Kenny Clark is struggling and has been for the last three to four years. He has not been and has not really given much reason to believe he's going to be, again, a premier interior defensive lineman. 2024 is essentially the final year of his contract. And the way that they've structured this, which has been poorly in order to free up a ton of money, if he doesn't prove that he 
is a guy that needs to stick around beyond 2024, despite the fact that he's only going to be 29, I don't really know the value of paying him. But again, even if we decide to pay him, so what? Kenny has been a mediocre pass rusher, or I shouldn't even say that, he's been a mediocre defensive tackle, a subpar pass rusher for quite a while now. Devontae Wyatt has yet to prove anything. TJ Slayton is a, I mean, we'll see, but the guy was a fifth round pick and he's purely a nose tackle. I don't know that he's even necessarily a very good nose tackle. In fact, I would be surprised if he was an average nose tackle. Colby Wooden and Carl Brooks, despite all the hype about them because we just drafted them, we're talking a fourth and a sixth round pick. If we can get one of these two guys to even be somewhat decent, that's great. As of right now, we have zero defensive tackles that are very good at their job. There are two with the... uh, I mean, Wyatt is the one I have the most hope in. Kenny, there's at least some hope that he can get back to it, but I don't know how much longer he's going to be here anyways. Slayton, I have zero hope in. That's no disrespect to Slayton necessarily. It's just, you know, if he can be a good run defender, great. That's awesome. But that's it. Jonathan Ford, I mean, come on. And again, I know there's a lot of hype about these edge rushers that are on the inside, and but that's what they are. They're edge rushers who are being moved to the inside because it just seems to make more sense. Colby Wooden seems more like an interior guy, but was too small, so they're going to pack on probably 20 pounds of weight and see what happens. Carl Brooks is a 300-pound edge rusher who somehow makes more sense on the outside. I don't know how that works, but I think he does. I don't know. We'll see. And it's not even a situation where, yeah, well, you're going to want to wait and see. You're not just giving up on it. Dude, if a sixth-round pick doesn't look great, we're not giving him three years to prove that he's the answer. He's a sixth-round pick. So what do we have for first-round prospects at the defensive tackle position? There are no presumed right now elite defensive tackles, but you've got sort of those second tier, you know, between 10 and and 20 range guys. Obviously, yes, I know you're asking, and the answer obviously is yes. Um, There is an Ohio State guy represented here. (laughs) Isn't it amazing? Why does Ohio State not win stuff? They, They must have the best salesman in the world because all the best players go to Ohio State despite the fact that they apparently are never going to win anything. I don't understand how that works. There are seven with, you know, potentially eight, depending on how you feel about Jack Sawyer, Ohio State guys that are projected first-round picks. Frickin' crazy. You know how many Georgia guys are in the first round? Zero. The only one that's kind of close is Cedric Van Pran, who we talked about, who's a guard, who just fell seven spots and there's no chance he's coming back. Um, Otherwise, Javon Bullard and Kamari Lassiter are close, but... Right now, the answer is zero (laughs) compared to seven Ohio State guys. Ridiculous. But anyways, top dog right now, Mason Smith, defensive tackle out of LSU. And by the way, if you're wondering, I'm using a site called NFLMockDraftDatabase.com. Way too long of a name. Um, But essentially, all they do is they aggregate all the current information, all the mock drafts, all the big boards. They put it all together, and they kind of just give you an idea of what everybody out there is thinking right now. But um, I don't know why Mason Smith is here. He must just be an absolute freak. Uh, He played in 2021 as a rookie and was really bad, 57 grade. Didn't grade out well in really any category. Had four sacks, 16 pressures on 206 attempts, which is garbage. And then played one game last year. So I'm going to 
I'm going to just go ahead and wait and see on that. I, I don't have any information to give you in terms of what he does well, because so far the answer is nothing. So let's just go to the next guy, Michael Hall Jr. out of Ohio State. Six foot two, 290 pounds, jumped from a 60 PFF grade to an 80, 16 pressures on 149 attempts, which is decent, and five sacks. Seems to grade out evenly in run defense and pass rush. I have to assume we're expecting a little bit of a step again in year three because I'm I'm just at a glance seeing kind of good, not great. So we'll see. I mean, just from the little bit that I watched of Michael Hall, again, he's not a he's not one of these guys that's just gonna grab you and throw you back on your head, like just massive power. But he seems to be a um little bit of a technician and definitely has I guess high motor would make the most sense. He doesn't quit, but he's projected to go 16th overall. Then you got Jerzon Newton. Um, we talked about Jerzon not too long ago. I think just maybe it was packing it after dark. I just picked a guy and said, he's, he's going to be my pick. Anyways, um, this guy, first of all, again, I, I formed an affinity for Illinois defensive, at least defensive backs last year, but my ears perk up a little bit when I hear Illinois defense right now. And this guy had a massive breakout. He went from 58 to 57 to 91 overall. Run defense went from 58, 55 to 92. Pass rush, 57, 58, 84. 59 pressures on 423 attempts and four sacks. So the sack totals are not super high. In fact, one, two, three, four, his last five games, he had none, and he didn't have any more than one sack in a game. Didn't have, oh, that's not true. Never mind. But six foot two, 295, didn't have one bad game all year. 63.8 against Purdue was his lowest grade, and he had a a solid pass rush grade in that game. Didn't have a bad run defense game, didn't have a bad pass rush game. So I think 2023 is sort of wait and see, prove that it's real, and if he can do it again, I don't know why this wouldn't be freaking automatic. One thing that's kind of weird about him, he's listed at 6'2", 295. He looks and plays like a nose tackle. I mean, I'm not going to say he looks like he's 330, but even when this dude moves or tries to run, when I see 295, I'm thinking long, lean, athletic, pass-rushing interior guy. And that's not what he looks like at all. So that's going to be kind of a weird thing. The other kind of weird thing is all these pressures were mostly generated in the beginning of the season. He had 10 pressures against Indiana, 7 against Virginia, and then 8 against Chattanooga. And then down the stretch, it was mostly just kind of 10% type stuff with an occasional bump in, in this game or that game. So I don't know. That's That's kind of a weird one. Usually you watch highlights and it's like, oh yeah, yeah, he's real good. I was watching his highlights and it's like, eh. And yes, that's all I'm doing at this point is watching highlights just to kind of get a general flavor. Yeah, I don't know. It's one of those things where even if he can do it in college, I don't know that that's going to be something that's going to happen in the pros. A guy like that is not going to be a pass rusher in the pros. Just feels like he needs to lose some weight, you know, put on some lean muscle. You want to be, rather you be 280 and shredded than 295 and just kind of, you know, not that. But then finally, Leonard Taylor, defensive lineman out of Miami. Strangely enough, I think Leonard Taylor is probably my favorite. He checks every single box, including um, when you watch him. The power's there. The speed is there. Um, he went from a 71 PFF grade to an 87 from 2021 to 2022. His run defense went from 75 to 80. His pass rush went from 60 to 85. He had 25 pressures on 159 attempts and four sacks. Everybody's got four sacks. It's so weird. But um, yeah, this one, of the four we watched, this one would probably be my favorite, um, followed by Michael Hall 
And then I, I, I'm not even going to bother with Mason Smith, so I guess Jerzon Newton would be third. Smith is a Feldman freak list guy, which maybe is a big part of it. Um, he's number 12 on Feldman's freak list. Former five-star recruit, one of the most gifted players in college football. In the offseason, Smith hit 19.5 miles per hour on the GPS and can touch 11 feet in his standing vertical jump. So that explains why the guy's basically never played college football and is considered the number one defensive tackle. Well, he's going to be fun to watch, that's for sure. Keep your eye on Mason Smith out of LSU. All right, let's talk about edge. Why in the world would the Green Bay Packers ever draft an edge rusher? That one's a little bit more tough. We know Rashawn Gary is legit, and I'm not going to go down the path of maybe his injury ruined him, whatever. We're not playing that game. And honestly, I do think it's probably one of the more unlikely scenarios. I mean, Preston Smith is 31 years old. However, he is signed through 2026. Even if he has a bit of a down year, they're not going to give up on him because his contract is actually somewhat manageable every single year. 2023, he's costing us $6.3 million. And the next year is 16.5, then 17.5, and then 18. For a pass rusher, that's really not bad. So there's no contract reasons to get rid of the guy. There's really not much cap savings. I mean, in 2024, there's not much. 2025 is, you know, when your savings are less than your dead hit, that's not great. But we would say 7.6. It's not until 2026 that, you know, it would cost us 5.7. We'd save 12.4. But even then, I mean... I kind of hope he can just ride this out because this is one of the rare situations where this is a contract that really does um, suit a player being able to stay a Packer for the rest of his career and ride off into the sunset. I mean, it's only going to cost us $1.6 million as a void year for the Packers, which is basically nothing in 2027. He'll be 35 years old. So he'll play through his year 34, get his, you know, $13, $14 million that he's going to get paid and then right off into the sunset at age 35 retired and both parties just are content with it. Wouldn't that be swell? But I think it's got to be some kind of a combination of Van Ness spending more time inside and maybe Preston losing his edge a little bit. It's a stretch, but it's a thing. Four pass rushers are in the first round, three of them in the top 10. So very, very, very top heavy. Jared Verse and Dallas Turner are um, the number five and number six overall prospects, followed by, you guessed it, Ohio State pass rusher. Oh boy, and of course, Ohio, Ohio State just likes getting guys that I can't pronounce just to tick me off. Can you get like a Jim Smith once? His last name is T-U-I-M-O-L-O-A-U. Tui Mo Lau. Tui Mo Lau? I don't know. I'll, I'll look it up in a minute. I don't freaking know. And then... 21st overall is edge rusher out of Washington, Braylon Trice. So, I, I look, I, I we'll, we'll take a very quick gander at these guys just because that's half the exercise, but I, I it doesn't make a massive amount of sense outside of Braylon Trice. And that's the other thing, too. We're talking probably two first-round picks, so you could potentially take one as an edge rusher if you think it's the best player. Also makes it slightly more likely, but th the issue I have with any of the top three guys is simply the fact that if we're picking in the top 10, I cannot imagine that the most immediate need is going to be Ed Rusher. I mean, if you're in the top 10, something went very wrong. And if you're telling me it's because Rashawn Gary and Lucas Van Ness and Preston Smith were that big of a failure, I know best player available, I get all that, but if we're top 10, bullcrap. You do what you got to do to fix whatever the problem is. If it's Jordan Love, fix it. If it's, you know, 
Whatever it is, it needs to be fixed in the top 10 or trade out of it and recoup some serious value. So I can't imagine having the fifth overall pick and taking an edge rusher. With that said, Jared Verse, uh, 6'4", 248 pounds, a little bit on the lighter side. Spent two years at Albany and then transferred to Florida State. Really didn't see any reduction. He's been the most consistent player ever. Um, 82, 83, 82 are his three years. That includes the two at Albany and one at Florida. His pass rush grades, 84, 84, and then 87. 36 pressures on 205 attempts and nine sacks. Those are some pretty solid stats. Pretty inconsistent as far as his week-to-week grades, but nothing horrible. He only had one bad game. But it's one of those things where it's like there's a 90 and an 84 the first two weeks, and that kind of is the biggest reason why his grades are as high as they are. After that, it was all 60s and 70s, and probably a little more 60s, 50-50, I guess. I like Verse. I think my favorite thing about him is his closing speed. He's not the biggest dude, right? 248 pounds. You can kind of see that collision with the offensive lineman and the offensive lineman. I mean, he's got a little bit of pop, uh, a little bit of pop, a little bit of power to him. But it's different than when you get some of these bigger pass rushers that really, you know, that initial slam into the tackle and the tackle takes a couple steps back. That doesn't really happen with Vert. But when he finally gets that lane to the quarterback, his zero to sixty is pretty ridiculous. Then Alabama pass rusher Dallas Turner, six foot four, two forty, another pretty small guy. Um, not necessarily quite as elite. His grades are not all that fantastic. 73 overall, 71 run defense, 73 pass rush, 37 pressures on 312 attempts is decent. Just five sacks. Just off the bat, just from the little bit I've seen, I have a feeling that this is going to be a Will Anderson 2.0. And all I really mean by that is there's going to be a ton of hype and I'm just not going to buy it. And yeah, I think it's going to be similar to verse, just not as good. And that is He's too undersized to be able to just beat tackles with with any form of power, which I think is a serious problem. I think you have to be able to do that in the NFL. You're not going to just be able to do, you know, again, like the Clay Clay Matthews days where you beat him with speed and bend around the edge. That's just not going to be really a thing. But he's got the closing speed. You know, he can run and chase and all that stuff. Congratulations. I just, you know, I wouldn't mind taking a flyer if you're talking late first, early second or something. I, I just... 240 pounds and you're fast. I just don't care. But yeah, he's 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 good, I guess. Tui Moluau, I think is how it's pronounced, is the third edge rusher, six foot four, two hundred and seventy-two, so he's got a much better build. Um the statistics look solid, decent, I guess. Let's see, thirty-two pressures, two hundred and sixty-four attempts. It's twelve percent. It's adequate. Seven sacks. He had a 75 overall grade because his, despite his pass rush grade being an 83, his run defense was a 59. The other issue I can see immediately is his grades week to week are really not very good. He had one game against Penn State where he just absolutely dominated, 93.5 grade, then 80, then just two games in the 70s. So just four games where he graded out as good. Otherwise, it was 68, 68, 66, 63, 58, 58, 57, 57, 49. So massively inconsistent and I have a feeling people saw the Penn State game you know people that watch the tape which is one of the negatives of watching the tape because you're not going to watch every game and depending on which ones you watch you might have a wildly different opinion but you watch what he did against Penn State and you probably like the guy a lot three pressures two sacks and two interceptions so he's a elite he could probably play corner so Sean Clifford knows him real well <laughs> he was in Sean Clifford's face all freaking day but I don't know. I'm you, you can we'll, we'll see what he does in 2023. You can call me a skeptic. Um, he's definitely the more powerful 
guy of the group. I don't dislike him, but he's got to be more consistent than essentially just having two good games, one elite game. And then finally, Braylon Trice, edge rusher out of Washington. Massive jump, uh, 62 to an 88 overall. Run defense stayed the same as about average. And then he jumped from a 69 pass rush grade to a 91. He had 70 pressures on 335 attempts. See, when you're in college football, those are the kinds of numbers that impress me. That's 21%. Those are things that are not ever going to happen in the pros, but you're not in the pros. You're in college, so you have the opportunity to get numbers like that. But 70 pressures, 9 sacks, six foot four, 270, which is a little surprising considering how bad of a run defense and tackling grade he has. Yeah, and I again, they're just highlights. You'd have to do a little bit of a deeper dive, but Braylon Trice, maybe Verse would be a little bit better, but Braylon Trice might be my favorite of the group. Trice and Verse are the two that definitely stand out as really, really solid pass rushers. Turnus, uh, Turner and Tui Malau, or however, I already forgot how you say his name, kind of kind of so-so on those guys. Dallas Turner would probably be my least favorite, just because at least with the edge rusher out of Ohio State, he seems to have the makeup. Dallas Turner, man, I just I don't like the tiny pass rushers. I just don't like him. And I know that's kind of what Verse is, but he at least showed a lot of power and whatnot. But Braylon Trice, dude. He's like Jared Verse if Jared Verse was 270 pounds at six foot four. I like that dude. All right, why don't we take a break? Then we got linebacker corner and, of course, the ever-important safety to look at. Linebacker, we may not even, we might not even touch on linebacker. I don't know if we need to. We'll just mention it. But we'll take a break. We'll be right back. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. 
Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. All right, yeah, so again, we're not drafting a linebacker, but just so you know, the only two first round guys are both Clemson linebackers, which is kind of crazy. Barrett Carter and Jeremiah Trotter. Those are the top two guys. I don't want a linebacker. I don't want to draft a first-round linebacker. No offense to Quay. I just don't want to do it. I don't like it. We don't need it. If we do, then all that does is prove that drafting a first-round linebacker wasn't a great strategy. And if it was a great strategy, then we don't need one. So either way, not going to do it. Not going to do it. Wouldn't be prudent at this juncture. So then cornerback, again, not the most likely thing in the world. But we don't know what the heck is going on with Stokes. And the last year of Razul's contract is next year. If we just have Jair, then we definitely need to look at corner. Now, we've already looked at Kool-Aid McKinstry, uh, who is considered the number four overall prospect. And as I've already said, I would kind of maybe be a little surprised if he stays a top five cornerback prospect. Nothing wrong with Kool-Aid. But his highest coverage grade of the entire season last year was a 72.5 against Texas A&M. He had one interception. He has two in his entire career. The biggest thing is he had 16 pass breakups, which he's not going to do again. So what happens when you take away the 16 pass breakups and bring it down to a normal level? Like, oh, I don't know, in 2021 he had one. What if he has five in a pick? Is he going to be a top five corner or is he going to be a, a top 20 or top 32 or top 50 corner? His highest PFF grade for the season was a uh, 73.2 against Arkansas. Kool-Aid McKinstry seems great, and he's got a great name and all that stuff. Um, but, I mean, there's nothing interesting here, right? I mean, the, the, the grades are not elite. He's 6'1", 188, so he's not very big. He doesn't have the inter- interceptions. I don't think he's expected to run fast. His projected 40 time is a 4.55. So, again, we'll see how 2023 goes, but I would be a little stunned at this point if he's a top 10 pick next year. With that said, it doesn't really matter because I don't expect to be picking in the top five, and if we are, I don't expect to be taking a cornerback. Now, who else do we got? We got Kalen King, who is projected uh, 15th overall out of Penn State. At 17 overall, Ohio State, Denzel Burke. I can pronounce that one. At 29, Jason Marshall out of Florida. So four corners. All four, I think, are probably going to be within striking distance because, again, I don't think Kool-Aid's going to be sitting there uh, getting taken off the board in the top five. But Kalen King, another smaller guy, slot cornerback, which also leads me to believe he will not be going at 15. But five foot 11, 188. He did have a 90 coverage grade, which is fantastic. But lots of volatility. Um, he gave up one touchdown, three interceptions, nine pass breakups, 48.9 passer rating when targeted. Uh, just gave up 343 yards through the air. Now, is it possible we're taking a corner? It's possible. Is it likely that we take a corner and that corner is a slot guy? Not necessarily. And I'm, I'm not even sitting here trying to tell you that we got slot locked down. In fact, I think if we need anything at corner, it probably is slot. I know we're all hyped up about Keyshawn Nixon, but the guy wasn't super good. He ended with a 60 coverage grade, and that's only because he had a 76 grade against Philly and an 89 grade against Chicago. You remove that, and he kind of just lived in squalor at the cornerback position. 
I don't think he's a long-term answer in the slot. So we have Razul, we have Stokes, we have Jair. If we have two boundary guys out of that pile, slot makes the most sense. But are you doing that in the first round becomes the question. But he's known for having really good hands, and I think if there's any chance he could maybe play a little bit on the outside in a pinch, then that's not a terrible option, right? Kind of like Jair, we drafted a guy to be a slot guy, but you know, if you could be really good, we'll put you on the outside, and then now he just lives outside, as he should. But at the end of the day, is it likely we're taking a slot corner? Probably not. Then we get Denzel Burke, cornerback out of Ohio State. Um... I'm trying to like these Ohio State guys, man, but all I can say is PFF does not. Six foot one, 190 pounds. He went from a 68.8 PFF grade in 2021 down to a 67.9. His coverage grade did go up a little bit, although he went from giving up zero touchdowns to three last year, had no interceptions and five pass breakups, 110.2 passer rating when targeted. Um, one, two, three, four games he graded out in the 70s and he had one two three four five games he graded in the 50s as for in terms of his coverage i don't know i don't know what denzel burke is doing in the first round here i think we've solved the solved the riddle of how you can have so many elite players and not be the best team in college football i mean they're close but i think the answer to the question is that there's no way that these guys belong in the first round some of them but not this many Finally, Jason Marshall, uh, six foot, one hundred and ninety-eight pounds. Another guy that went backwards in terms of his PFF grade went from a seventy-two coverage grade down to a sixty-six. Just had one interception. Did have eight pass breakups, but similar to Kool Aid McKinstry, he went from one to eight. And I don't know that he's going to be able to replicate that. And if he doesn't, what happens? Because his coverage grade went down despite the increased pass breakups, and he went from giving up two touchdowns to zero. So his coverage was garbage. <laughs> So I don't know, man. I mean, Kool-Aid is, is uh, he's solid from a week-to-week standpoint. He's never elite, but he's never bad. He's just good every week, and that's important. Kalen King, slot guy, really good ball skills. Inconsistent, but it's an option. Burke and Marshall, I don't get it. Some of these other guys are really flying up the boards. Kamari Lasseter out of Georgia. You know how the Packers feel about that. Chris Abrams Drain out of Missouri. He's currently at 49, but he jumped up 22 spots. Max Melton out of Rutgers is 54th, but he jumped up 14 spots. Nate Wiggins out of Clemson jumped up 33 spots to 61. And then uh, uh, Quinion Mitchell, cornerback out of Toledo. Unlikely to be a first-round pick because, you know, Toledo. But he's at 69. He just jumped up 50 spots. So these are some guys who are recently have been discovered. And again, whenever I see this many guys that I feel like probably don't belong, I would be looking at um, some of these others, maybe Kamari Lasseter or whatever, Nate Wiggins out of Clemson, to jump into that first-round conversation. But finally, saving the best for last, the safety position. There are three guys that are, as of right now, considered first-round safety options. There are quite a few that are actually also close. So we've got Cooper DeJean is number one. He, he is sitting at 20th. So this would be a great spot to be in. If the Packers actually have a really good season, let's say they make the playoffs or are close to it, they're picking in the 20s. They've also got the Jets pick, and the, the best safety in the draft is probably going to go around 20. But Cooper DeJean, Andrew Makuba, safety out of Clemson, is sitting at 26. He just dropped two spots, so he's kind of fallen a little bit. And then Kalen Bullock is at 32, but he just jumped up 10 spots, so he's on the rise. 
Then at, at 34th overall, Cameron uh, Kinchins, he just jumped up 11 spots, so he's knocking on the door of the first round. Javon Bullard is sitting at 38. He's a safety out of Georgia. Um, James Williams, he's sitting at 43, so he's kind of sitting on the verge a little bit. And then some guys that are further down but are really climbing fast, Malachi Moore out of Alabama, he's at 60, but he jumped up 15 spots. And then Rod Moore is at 68, but he just jumped up 59 spots out of Michigan. So if those guys can continue that trajectory, they may be in the conversation. But let's start off with Cooper DeJean, which I'm sure is pronounced DeJean or something like that, just because, you know, screw me and all that. But this is a refreshing site because I always like to see, you know, you're a first-round pick, you should probably be really good in college. He went from a, well, he didn't really play in 2021. Let's just put it at that. He played 11 snaps. So his first time actually playing in 2022, 88 PFF grade, 88 run defense grade, 89 tackling grade, 88 coverage grade. He gave up uh, 422 yards, two touchdowns, five interceptions, five pass breakups, 49.7 passer rating when targeted. Very, very consistent, although he did have two bad games, Nebraska and Ohio State. Um, otherwise, pretty solid all the way through, including some elite games, which is nice to have that mix. Six foot one, two oh nine. He's got some real good size. He's twenty years old, so he should be, you know, twenty one in the draft. That's perfectly fine. Cooper DeGene. I knew it. Cooper DeGene. Just can never just be what it should be. You're saying your name wrong, Cooper. Tell you what, they, they, the only thing they've got on Cooper DeGene is actually a, a, they don't have highlights, but they've got uh, Cooper DeGene versus Iowa State, which he had an 80 PFF grade in that 85 coverage grade. Gets me kind of jacked up a little bit. He kind of looks and plays like a linebacker, but dude's got coverage ability for sure. I'll tell you what, I think I got my first draft crush, man. Holy cow. He plays everywhere. He's playing inside the box at linebacker. He's playing at corner on the boundary. He's playing in the slot. He's playing at safety. He's listed, actually, as a corner via PFF, but he's a corner that, again, plays inside the box. He actually doesn't play at free safety, so I guess that's kind of a weird situation because you'd be moving him to safety, which he never did in college. This is a weird position that I don't remember anybody ever playing before. He's sort of like a safety. He's basically a linebacker-corner hybrid. Which is what safeties do a lot, but safeties also play safety, and he doesn't play safety. <laughs> I don't know what you do here. I mean, if we're going to draft him, he's going to have to play. I mean, obviously, you can play inside the box a lot as a safety. And you can be a guy that plays in the slot on occasion as a safety. But you you got to play. I mean, he, he literally in two years has zero snaps at free safety. But I really like him. I really do. I do honestly wonder if he is a linebacker, though. I mean, he, again, prim- his primary snaps came at corner. But I just wonder if he could be seen as a, although he's 209 pounds, he's kind of small. I wonder if people would see, this is so weird. Like, I don't know if you play him at corner. I doubt it. Do you play him at safety, who spends some time in the box, sometimes in the slot? Do you just put him at linebacker and call him a really good coverage linebacker? I really don't know. I feel like safety makes the most sense, but I, I pff, man, I don't know. Anyways, I'm super intrigued. If we're calling Cooper DeGene a safety and think that he can play safety, I really like him. Maybe it's just the helmet, but I'm kind of getting Micah Hyde vibes from him. It's probably just the helmet. But anyways, it, it's, it's a weird situation where I really like the guy. However, um, I don't know that he's going to be exactly what we're looking for because I don't know if he's going to end up even being a safety at the end of the day. 
After that, Andrew Makuba, safety out of Clemson. He's at 26 and has dropped two spots as opposed to Kalen Bullock, who went up 10 spots. So they may end up switching in the near future. But in the meantime, number two safety way at the back of the draft, Andrew Makuba. And definitely understand why he is falling down the boards. I think the reason he was put up high is because he had a really good 2021 season as a rookie. 77 overall, 80 run defense, 88 tackling, 74 coverage. Uh, he gave up one touchdown, didn't have any picks, but six pass breakups. And you know that pick's going to come eventually. So 94.3 passer rating when targeted. He was pretty solid. Year two, massively fell off a cliff. His highest graded game of the season was a 70.5 PFF grade against Furman. After that, it's 60-60-60-60-50-50-50-50-40-30-30. He was terrible. He had a 50 overall PFF grade, 51 run defense, and a 50.7 coverage grade. That is horrifically bad. And unless he has some kind of a major bounce back, and by the way, he was all over the place too. Here are his positions by week. Free safety, strong safety, Left cornerback, strong safety, free fit safety, strong safety, free safety, strong safety, slot cornerback, strong safety, slot, and then slot. He played five snaps along the defensive line, 82 inside the box, 232 as a free safety, 243 in the slot, and 16 as a corner. But yeah, don't expect Makuba to be sitting up here in the first round. So, so far, it's really actually not looking that good, despite my excitement for Cooper DeGene. If we're calling him a corner or linebacker, or whatever, and Makuba's not a first-round guy, and Kalen Bull Bullock is sitting here at 32, we might be in a little bit of trouble when it comes to safety next year. Now, understand I'm just talking about top end, because remember, depth and top end talent are very different things. The, the tight end class, for example, last year didn't have a top 10, top 15 um, tight end. We all kind of thought it did, but the NFL disagreed. But lots of talent like late first, second, third, on and on and on. That may be the case here. Again, you got a guy listed at 20, 26, 32, 34, 38, 43, 60, 68. So there's several guys, but Kalen Bullock is next up. He took a massive leap at USC from year one to year two, a 68 grade up to an 82. Uh, run defense stayed the same. He's still in the 50s, which isn't fantastic, but his tackling grade went from a 51 to an 86, and his coverage grade went from a 72 to an 89. He uh, gave up 16 receptions for 246 yards, four touchdowns, five interceptions, four pass breakups, 86.3 passer rating when targeted. Not the most consistent. I don't love his grades. Um, he had an 86, an 86, an 83, a 76, and then his next highest is a 60. So it's 60, 60, 60, 60, 60, 60, 60, 50, 50, 40. So he's one of those guys that graded out well, but on a game-to-game -game basis, he's mostly going to give you mediocre play. And an occasional good game, but it was year two. We'll see if he can take another step. Uh, six foot three, one eighty, so tall and lanky. Usually safeties are right at six one two hundred, extra two inches and twenty pounds lighter. And then another thing to pay attention to: if you type in Kalen Bullock on YouTube, the first thing that pops up as an option aside from his name is Kalen Bullock ejected. So keep an eye out for red flags. Oh boy, I'm gonna like this guy, aren't I? The other things you see, so I'm, I'm, I'm really just looking for anything. It could be Kalen Bullock verse, Kalen Bullock highlights. All you see is Kalen Bullock takes it 93 yards for USC pick, and then USC defender Kalen Bullock destroys Washington State player, and it's just a video of him taking off. So great reading ability, right? He saw it from the start, took off from the safety spot like a rocket, and just blew a guy up. 
And and again, you add in the ejected thing, you look at the violence, you watch him stand over the guy after he hit him. He's got some attitude to him, which might not be a good thing, but I'm going to like the guy, I can tell. And then I'm curious, um, because I have a feeling he looked pretty quick. Yeah, Draft Buzz has him as the number one safety. They got him at 4.55, but they're kind of just estimate. He might not be all that fast. I don't really know. Andrew Makuba, who we talked about that um, really had a terrible year. I didn't even bother to watch him. Um, he's projected to run in the four threes, so that might be a big part of the reason why he's going to stay relatively high. Oh, and actually that big hit, that's that's the reason he got ejected. He got ejected for that big hit. So maybe not a red flag, but violent human being. So, I mean, he's he's definitely intriguing. Again, I don't like the fact that, you know, he's got four solid games and the rest not so much, um, but it's hard to deny, again, an 89 coverage grade, um, the five interceptions and four pass breakups and whatnot. And, and he is, despite being 180 pounds and, you know, being 6'3 and having some range and some decent speed, sorry about that, he is a violent human being. And he's he is lanky. I mean, you look at his legs, they're twigs. So, I mean, you get him into an NFL program, I'm guessing they're going to have him doing some squats and seeing if they can't get that 180 up to 195, you know. And considering he's not like a 4'3 guy that you want to preserve his speed anyways, if he goes from, you know, a 4'4 to a 4'3, but he adds 15 pounds of mass, I don't know. He's intriguing. He's worth keeping an eye on. Uh, a couple of the other guys, again, that are flying up right on that first round, um, the verge of the first round, Cameron Kitchens out of Florida, very similar to Kalen Bullock in, in almost every way. Massive jump from 68 to 90. Coverage went from a 67, a 68 to a 91. But it's really just, he, he had one great game against Georgia Tech. I mean, 97 PFF grade, 96 coverage grade. He had three interceptions and a pass breakup in that game. Otherwise, he had 180, 370s, and then it's 60, 60, 60, 60, 60, 50, 40. But massive leap, shows incredible upside. 5'11", 202 kind of fits a little bit closer to what you typically see from a safety. Uh, Cam Kitchen seems to me to be a true uh, center fielder. I mean, he is a free safety. Um, tackling grade is terrible, which is a problem. I mean, 56 tackling grade is is not great. If you're looking for that center fielder, obviously coverage is more important, but I, I, I'm very bothered by um, linebackers that struggle in this, although he had a 71 run defense grade, so I don't know. There's also um, Marvin, excuse me, Javon Bullard famously knocked out Marvin Harrison, but another guy that may be considered more of a corner, I don't know. And then as I said, James Williams, Malachi Moore out of Alabama, Rod Moore out of Michigan. So, um, that's it. I'm not, well, I guess we can for the heck of it. See if there's any good special teamers. Tory Taylor, punter out of Iowa, seems to be maybe the only one. I mean, there's other guys, but he's, as far as premier special teamers, he seems to be the guy. He's consensus 126 overall. So, mid-round pick, probably. So, looking at offense and defense, and obviously a lot of this is going to become more clear this big board is going to start to straighten up. Some of these guys need to get out of the first round. Some other guys need to be brought into it. Um, but as far as my feelings so far, it's it's real tough. It seems to me almost blatantly obvious that offensive tackle would need to be the pick. That's the only one that really made a lot of sense. Um, again, quarterback can make sense. If if I mean that that's that's a no brainer. If Jordan Love is just a freaking disaster, if he comes out and he looks like Brett Hundley. And we've got an early enough pick. We need to package the two picks we have, try to get up to the first pick and get Caleb Williams, period. If that isn't the case, I don't know what other direction you would really go. 
Again, maybe wide receiver if that isn't super panning out, but I don't know how tackle. I mean, again, we've taken a lot of swings at offensive line, but nothing really super early. You know, we've got two second-round guys on our offensive line, um, like one mid-rounder in Zach Tom. Is that right? And technically, David Bakhtiari's a mid-rounder too. Uh, well, we got Royce also as a fourth-round pick, I guess. And Sean Ryan was a third-round pick. So we do have two, three, four mid-round picks if you include Bakhtiari, which I'm not. But as far as early swings, we got no first-round picks, two second-round picks, and Josh Myers, we'll see what he can be. I just think we need one big, solid swing. And the Packers do such a great job with offensive line. They really do. I mean, I just have, there are certain positions I just trust them implicitly, and I think offensive line and wide receiver are two of those positions. Tight end? No. Quarterback? We'll see. We've, we've had some great luck at quarterback, but, you know, we got to see if uh, the tradition continues with Brian Gutekunst. I have a decent amount of... of um, uh, belief in their ability to find an edge. So, you know, the bottom line is we could probably survive living on, you know, a couple second round picks and a third and a fourth here and there. But man, I, I just think if we could take one big swing, I, I again, I, I trust their ability to identify the right prospect for what they need and to be able to coach the guy up. And we rarely do it, but I feel like it, it, it would be incredible if we could, if we could find a truly top tier guy to just come in, be our left tackle, take David Bakhtiari's spot. He doesn't have to be David Bakhtiari. I'm not asking for him to be a number one guy, but if he can be a top 15 tackle, you know, just a solid number one tackle. And then we got Zach Tom, Elton Jenkins, and then again, Myers and Runyon, if nothing else, seem to be really good pass blockers. I'm, I'm content with that, but I'm concerned about letting Bakhtiari go and not addressing it. And again, the way that things are kind of lined up now, I think offensive tackle kind of makes sense. Um, Obviously, no idea where we're drafting, but you know, you look at Fashanu, Joe Alt, J.C. Latham. I like it. I'll tell you what: if, if you were to ask me right now, we get two picks in the first round, one kind of mid, one kind of late. I'm leaning Fashanu and Cooper DeGene. Those are the two guys. Again, Fashanu worries me as far as run blocking, but I just think he's probably going to be the best pass blocker. But I mean, give me Joe Alt. I don't really care. I'd be good with that. Anyways, it was good to get that out of the way. Our first look at 2024 and some potential um, repairs that can be done next year. Hopefully there won't be many. But I'm going to leave it at that. You guys have a good rest of your day. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.